Hi, this is the Poetry Corner Podcast. I'm Dr. Timothy Bartell. Today, I want to go back in time. Now, we're recording on St. Valentine's Day, and I'm sure you'll be listening to this long after St. Valentine's Day. But if you're familiar with the connection between St. Valentine's Day and poetic history, you might be aware that one of the first discussions of St. Valentine's Day, and especially the connection between St. Valentine's Day and romance, is made in a Middle English poem from just before 1400 called The Parliament of Fowls by Geoffrey Chaucer. Some people even think Chaucer kind of invents our understanding of Valentine's Day as this time of love for both man and beast. And in fact, Chaucer in Parliament of Fowls focuses on the loves of birds. He has birds singing about love and the birds are finding their mates. And of course, the birds are giving important and sometimes witty lessons to humans about, you know, uh, folly and wisdom that are possible in human and animal life. I don't want to talk about that Parliament of Fowls today. I want to talk about the opening stanza. Now, Parliament of Fowls is hundreds and hundreds of lines long and is considered in this genre of dream visions where the poet kind of has this vision of nature and even heaven giving them wisdom in a supernatural way. But the opening stanza of Parliament of Fowls is a short and lovely meditation on love. And so I want to read it, and uh, hopefully this will be the first of a couple episodes of the podcast we do on Chaucer's shorter poetry. But ever afterwards, I think I'm going to look back, even when we talk about other poems by Chaucer that I think are very good, and say, this might be, in my opinion, one of the most perfect stanzas in Chaucer's poetry, and maybe in English poetry. I know I'm making big claims for this stanza, so I should just read it. Now, a warning before I read it. This is written in Middle English. I'm going to try and pronounce it in such a way that it is as understandable as I can make it. But if you've read Chaucer in Middle English, you know that half the words sound exactly like we say them today, and half the words sound very different than we say them today. So I'm going to read this. It's just seven lines long, and then I want to talk about it for a little bit and what it has to do with love and maybe St. Valentine. The life so short the craft so long to learn, the essay so hard, so sharp the conquering, the dreadful joy all way that slit so yearn, all this mean I by love, that my feeling astonieth with his wonderful working, so sore you wis that when I on him think, nat wot I well where that I fleet or sink. Now, I read it trying to pronounce it as much like modern English as I could. Someone who has studied the pronunciation of Middle English will think I have botched it. But I want it to be as understandable as possible because I think that this is just a lovely, lovely little stanza. I want to go through it line by line. The first line actually is totally comprehensible in modern English. The life so short, the craft so long to learn. And this is actually an idea that has been expressed by many poets. Longfellow has a version of this line that's art is long and life is fleeting. This idea that life is a short thing. Human life, you grow up, you get old, you die quickly. But craft, art, art is very long. Now this goes all the way back, of course, to the Romans. Ars longa, they said. Art is long. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that, you know, 
poems are long, though Parliament of Fowls is long. And if you read all of it, you might tire a little bit and think that his dream vision should end sooner than it does. Art is long. What does this mean? Art lasts. When we make a piece of art, when Chaucer writes this poem in the late 1300s, I don't know if he knows that we're going to be talking about it 700 years later. I mean, I think Chaucer knew he was a genius. But how do you know? How do you know what the future holds? Well, if you make a good piece of art, perhaps that's the thing that you can most hope and most have good evidence could endure into the future. So the life so short, the craft so long to learn. Now, this last phrase, to learn, I think is what makes this statement of it so awesome. Because this idea of art is long and life is short, or art is long and time is fleeting, that's common, goes back to the Romans. What Chaucer does to put his own spin on it is to not say, oh, art lasts for a long time, life is short. No, the life so short, the craft so long to learn. He's actually not focusing on the endurance of the classic throughout time. He's focusing on it takes a long time to learn an art form, to learn a craft. And life is short, which seems to indicate that you got to gather ye rosebuds while ye may, to quote another poet. You have to get going if you're going to learn anything because the craft is long to learn. Now, this is a great poet writing a phenomenal poem that already has an incredibly memorable first line. And we might be led to think that the craft that he's talking about is poetry. And I think that it's fair to say the craft he's talking about is poetry. But that's not all that's going on. The life so short, the craft so long to learn. The essay so hard, so sharp the conquering. So essay is from the French, uh, something like essay, I'm not pronouncing it right, which means to try, uh, the attempt. Of course, we now use the word essay for a short critical piece of nonfiction prose, but the essay was invented by it. Montaigne, arguably, uh, hundreds of years ago, and his essays weren't, you know, school pieces. They were tries. They were attempts to meditate in prose upon a particular subject. So that's the meaning of the word essay here. The attempt so hard, so sharp the conquering. So he's already said, life is short. The craft is long to learn. The attempt is difficult so sharp the conquering. I, I love how he says that. So sharp the conquering. Sharp is, well, <laughs> this is a weird metaphor to make, but I kind of think it's funny. Sharp is a double-edged sword of a word. Sharp can mean dangerous, but sharp can also mean precise and acute and deeply meaningful. The conquering, whatever conquering, whatever victory is being accomplished in this craft is sharp. Perhaps it's both painful and precise and acute and intense. Maybe he's not just talking about poetry. The life so short, the craft so long to learn, the essay so hard, so sharp the conquering, the dreadful joy all way that slit so yearn. Okay, so here's where we have to actually do some translation. The dreadful joy, okay, we got that. That seems to go along with sharp conquering, a joy that's also dreadful. The dreadful joy alway that slit so yearn. Slit so yearn, I'm told by the editors of my version of Chaucer, that slit so yearn something like slides away so swiftly. Slit is an older Middle English form of slides. I think we can see that. So, 
the word so. Yearn or yearna is probably more how it would be pronounced in Middle English. Swiftly is how the editors are telling me to translate it, but the word yearn there seems to echo the modern use of the word yearn, which is to pine, to deeply desire in a melancholy way. I think we have the connotation here, rightly or not, that it's sliding away, not just swiftly, but in a way that's painful to us. And I think that goes along with these ideas of dreadful joy and sharp conquering. Okay, so what is this craft that's leading to all these almost paradoxical and deeply felt experiences? Well, the dreadful joy all way that slit so yearn, all this mean I by love. Ah, there you go. The craft was not just poetry. The craft is the craft of love. And I think this, this all of a sudden makes sense of his many descriptions. Dreadful joy, sharp conquering, hard assay, slide so yearn. Um, yeah, that's love, isn't it? Now, it can feel very cheesy to read love poetry and to talk about it. But Chaucer, this sort of inventor of how we talk about love in English, has built up this idea of a craft at least for this reader, dear listener, for this reader, for myself, it works for me. All this mean I by love, that my feeling astonieth with his wonderful working. Astonieth, I think means something like astonisheth. My feeling is astonished. My feeling is, is deeply surprised or stunned. Astonieth with his wonderful working. So sore ye wis that wan I on him think. So ye wis obviously is the word there that we don't know what it means. It means uh, something like, yes, indeed. I'm seeing the editor in my version is saying violently indeed it means. Violently is an interesting way of thinking of it. But also we've already had sharp, dreadful, hard, long in relation to this craft. So I think this idea of, ah, yes, indeed, this almost rueful indeed, maybe we should bring back Ewis if you really want to drive home that this is really how you're feeling. Uh, so sore Ewis I felt when this car cut me off on the street. Um, you could write a poem, think about it. It needs to be in meter, though. We're formalists here. So sore Ewis that when I on him think, him, I assume being love, Nat, wot I well, where that I fleet or sink. So, nat, wot I well, means something like, I don't rightly know, or I don't well know. Nat, wot I well, where that I fleet or sink. Now, fleet, if we actually drop that E in the middle, this actually means float. I do not know whether I float or sink. What's the sort of the main meaning of this last section? He's brought us all this I mean by love. That my feeling astonisheth with his wonderful working. So sore you is that when I on him think, I do not know whether I float or sink. When he's thinking about love, is he floating? Is he buoyed up by this great thing? Is it the half of love that is joy or victory or wonder? Or is it the sinking? And I think that this is, I don't want to get too cheesy, but this is the kind of thing that has been described by poets from 
the dawn of time to the present, that love is this thing that is so powerful that you don't know if you're lost or found. You know, I've, I don't know whether I'm lost or found. I'm, I'm lost in my love. You know, I'm confused by love. I'm bewildered. We owe to Chaucer that language. Chaucer is the first in our language to speak of love in this paradoxical way. And one of the things he's doing, and I mentioned we're formalists here, one of the things he's doing is he's doing this in wonderful poetic form. Nat wot I well where that I fleet or sink. That's pentameter. Da 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 da. Now, the Middle English reader who has found the Middle English version of this and is reading along with me will say, aha, Dr. Bartell, it's actually nat wot I well where that I fleet or sinka. There's actually a little E at the end of sink, which probably, arguably, would have been pronounced. I think that obscures the sense of it, and so I've, I've left it out. But even if there is that 11th syllable, which would be a, an unstressed syllable, this is still primarily iambic pentameter. And really, Chaucer is the one who brings iambic pentameter, rhyming iambic pentameter, the on him thinka, fleet or sinka, that A-A-B-B-C-C rhyme scheme, he really brings it into usage in English in the late 1300s. And ever afterwards, iambic pentameter and rhyming couplets have come into and out of favor and more been in than out of favor if we take the history of English altogether. So whenever you write love poetry, whether it's St. Valentine's Day or any other day, whenever you feel bewildered by love, whenever you do not know whether you float or sink, thank Chaucer both for giving you the diction to talk about it and for reminding you of that dreadful joy of love. We'll talk more about Chaucer next time. This, of course, has been a very romantic Chaucer. I want to delve into Chaucer, who's also thinking about other virtues other than love. And we'll continue on in our exploration of the late 14th century and how Chaucer is not just writing good poems in English, but sort of inventing how English poetry is going to work. This has been the Poetry Corner Podcast. I'm Dr. Timothy Bartell. Thank you. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at poetrycorner at stconstantine.org.